You're listening to the Hard Hedge, UVA's only independent basketball podcast hosted by two guys, one of whom happens to be a fake coach. Fake coach. Get up out your seat, you can have my drink, let me see you dance. And now, here are your hosts, Mike Pittman and Phony Bennett. When the sun falls, the sun falls, then the moon lights, the moon lights, might be a hell of a night, go, 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 And welcome, Virginia fans, to a long overdue edition of the Hard Hedge. We are thrilled to have you with us tonight. Uh, sorry, guys, I know about this time and every episode recently, I've talked about how we're going to do our best to be very consistent with this um, this season. and uh you know unfortunately our real lives and real jobs have gotten away of uh being able to produce this nearly as much as we would have liked to but uh, i mean the season is still early and uh hopefully we're going to be scraping some of these together for you we definitely have a lot of exciting stuff to get to uh tonight so with that let me introduce our cast of characters here first of all my p uh pic uh the one and only phony bennett phony how you doing buddy I'm I'm fantastic. I'm in a much better place than I think it was probably a week ago. Feeling more confident about the team. I mean, we were on a good run, but uh, the, these last two games uh, it, it have really uh, shown a lot. So uh, I'm I'm feeling pretty good about things right now. And uh, with us, as always, Mr. Daniel O'Neill. He's uh, at Embrace Pace UVA. Correct. What's up, Daniel? How you doing, pal? Yeah, doing well. Uh, excited uh, to be back here and talking about the Who's again. It's been a while, but uh, yeah, we definitely got a lot to cover. Has been has been far too long. And also with us is uh, Charlie Sawalser. He is at University Ball. Charlie, how are things hanging, buddy? Man, I feel like Isaiah Wilkins after spiking a shot into the second row. It is good to be back here with you, gentlemen. Absolutely, absolutely. So let's dive right in, guys. And and we just had a had a crazy week. Obviously, two uh, top fifteen road games. Uh, one of which we kind of just uh, you know. Uh, took it to them and and the other game um you know ended a, a little bit uh um you know uh not how we hoped but overall it was a performance that i think a lot of us uh took some positives from but let, let's kind of start with that that uh week right there those last two games and i'll start with you phony uh maybe let's talk about notre dame a little bit and kind of just go around and touch on it a little bit what really stood out to you uh in that game yeah i i, I think when, when you look at the matchup with Notre Dame, it, it's something I, I really don't get our dominance of them uh, because I, I think they match up pretty well with us. I think they've got, um, you know, well, yeah, I've, I've not made this a secret. He's, he's my second favorite coach in the ACC, Mike Bray. So uh, with, with that, I mean, what what stood out was just, you know, we had, how well we, we took care of the ball. We, uh, uh, and we And we just played our game. I mean, I, I haven't seen this squad look this comfortable being themselves uh, in, in a long time this season. So that that was really nice because uh, Notre Dame's not going to make anything easy on you. Mike Bray always gets the maximum out of his talent. And so uh, just watching them get get out there and uh, be able to do the, do their thing and the, and the crowd, uh, I think they got the crowd out of the game pretty early. And uh, it, it was just uh, – it, it showed a potential that I think a lot of folks weren't weren't certain on whether or not uh, that was there this season. So uh, it, it showed a lot of hope. We certainly have their number. And can you kind of put your finger, Daniel, on why exactly that is? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, Phony brought up a good point that saying that because I feel like I've heard leading up to that game and then since it happened, uh, some pieces either written or talked about about how Virginia is a really – 
bad matchup for Notre Dame and anything like that. And I just I don't really know where that comes from. I think they're a bad matchup in that they're a team that like we're a team that plays defense, I guess. But like in terms of the actual schemes, it should be a good matchup for Notre Dame. Like they like to spread basically five guys around the perimeter and shoot threes. Uh, pass the ball around the edge. And I mean, that's honestly, it's what you design against a defense like the pack line. So it is kind of crazy how dominant we have been. And that just showed again the other night. But uh, I mean, I guess it just comes down to we're starting to find our identity, um, which I think that's been sort of the bigger question so far this year is, is I think all of us thought we were going to be pretty good, but we didn't know sort of how we'd be good. Uh, I think a lot of this, uh, we're sort of we've we've sorted through a lot of the the kinks and are starting to kind of come out with an identity, especially defensively. And I think the Notre Dame game was a really good indication of that. Um, I think we're just making teams a little more uncomfortable on the offensive end as we have done uh, the past few years. Definitely a lot of still some work to be done, but I think it was a really really big step in the right direction to make me think, okay, like we're an ACC title contender and possibly more just like we have been the past few years, even with uh, as much roster turnover as we've had. Yeah. If I can jump. Yeah. uh, Sorry, Mike. I was just going to kind of pile on to what Daniel just said. Um, Notre Dame, like they just, they thrive on that perimeter four out, like quick passes looking for open two point jumpers. And we've got a lot of length on our perimeter with like the Marials and the Devons. And I feel like we did a great job just contesting shots and making Notre Dame think twice. And they really weren't getting a lot of good looks. And a lot of the threes they were taking were contested looks, maybe from a little bit further out than they're used to. I just feel like the guys around the perimeter did a better job both cutting off penetration and contesting quickly than they had been in some of the games prior. Yeah, it furthered my belief a little bit that that the you know Florida State and Pitt games were somewhat fluky uh, in a way because you know you have these teams uh, in in Nova and um, Notre Dame that that live and die by the three-point shot basically damn near 50 percent of their field goal attempts are three-point shots um, and yet we defended their you know moderately or to like, extremely well in both of those games and then game and then guys from um, Florida State and Pitt just absolutely go off making contested shots with hands in their face and um, you know not even completely set at some point it just was kind of it, you know helped remind me a little bit that you know those two games just uh, weren't exactly um, you know what we're it, they were an anomaly you know they, they were uh, um, uh, just uh, something that happens in basketball that you got to kind of look beyond uh but let's talk a little bit about the nova game in general uh and i'll go back to you uh phony that one you know there's already been a whole lot of debate uh we've seen it on twitter um about you know people calling it maybe a a, a, a choke job of some degree or um you know you've been interacting with some fans on that today uh, what what's the kind of uh, mindset that you're seeing from the fans right now in reaction to that loss? I mean, I'm I'm seeing a lot, but don't don't come at me and tell me it, it was a choke job or, or compare it to the Syracuse game. I mean, I think there there were a lot of factors in play there. We've we've probably talked uh, well, we haven't talked on here, obviously, but uh, you know, Twitter's well ahead of the the free throw disparity, twenty four to three. You know, whether it was le- legitimate or not, the the thing is, Villanova did 
what what they needed to do. They came in with, with a good strategy. They they played their best and they took advantage of the opportunities that they had. So I I don't I don't see it as a choke. I, I see it as Villanova doing the things, and we had some unfortunate things. Yeah, you know, you know London uh, took a seat there uh, the last half of the second half for a while, and and uh, you know, we missed some shots that that to me look like good looks that. Uh, yeah, decent rhythm shots. I didn't mind us taking, and and it just didn't fall our way. But you're you're playing against the defending champion, uh, the number one team at least as of that time in the country, and I still think they're better than Gonzaga. Gonzaga is going to have to win some tournament games to prove to me they they deserve to be there. But it, there's no shame in that loss, and the fact it, it's a two point loss, it doesn't affect what I see in this program and the potential and and what I see our ceiling as at this point. So. That was a very encouraging game. That was one of those games you think maybe we could have come out, fallen behind early, just never gotten our feet under us and, and never been able to do what it is that we do to be successful. But instead, I mean, we came out and, and we really controlled things for a long time. In the end, we got beaten by a really good team. And, and there's uh, there's nothing wrong with that. And I'm glad it happened now and, and not in March or early April. Daniel, let's talk about the foul disparity thing, um, because a, a lot of people that that's a topic on a lot of people's minds. And I think that, you know, in my opinion, and I think you'll probably echo me to some degree is that, um, you know, that the foul disparity is is pretty um, it's 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 explainable uh, in the sheer fact that, um, you know, our opponents are, are coming at us aggressively. They're, they're trying to attack the pack line and draw bodies and draw contact. Uh, and get to the free throw line, whereas our offense, you know, we aren't, we're, we're trying to make that more of an emphasis and, and we're doing so, and maybe we're not quite getting the, the calls in some key moments, but, uh, you know, overall, does it surprise you having watched these games that the foul disparities are what they are? Yes and no. Um, I think, and I don't want to spend too much time on this because like at the end of the day, like uh, I don't really I was a little upset last night, sort of immediately following the game about the foul disparity. But um, I think I, I tend to get more upset over like individual calls or non-calls than just raw numbers because of like what you mentioned. Stylistically, this year's team is not going to be towards the top of the league or nation in terms of free throw attempts or anything like that. And, right. Um, and it wasn't as if we had a ton of fouls called against us. It was more of like there are only what 26 fouls in the game total, which I mean, I love watching a game like that. It's great when there aren't 50, 60 fouls called, which we see so often these days. But, um, but yeah, my biggest thing is some of the individual calls. And I think I just watched, uh, Dave Cannon and coach Bennett's, uh, weekly radio show. And that was obviously sort of the elephant in the room. A lot of fans reached out with questions to Tony about that. And, um, he was, he was as honest as he was willing to be in terms of it was very clear that he he went back and watched the tape and was not very happy with what he saw in terms of the way the game was officiated. Um, namely, like with what I was just saying, I think that there were probably a handful, maybe four or five or so examples of where we were driving to the rim, being aggressive, initiating contact, and just the whistle never was blown. Uh, I think that's when it's frustrating. I think that it's easy to for all these games say, okay, like Virginia just doesn't draw a lot of fouls. And I think that's what people like, like Jay Billis on Twitter are saying, which is a fair point. Like it's true, but at the same time you can, we, we might not do that traditionally, but if you look at the individual plays, there were particularly on Shayok, a number of examples of calls that 
honestly should be made. And it's got to be, I mean, you can see it on the players' faces. London and, and Marielle were, were very, very frustrated um, that a number of times they drove to the rim, initiated contact, got fouled, and there was no whistle. Um, we can sit here and complain all day. I mean, I, I hope that they don't get too overly frustrated and almost force the issue in, in upcoming games because, I mean, like Tony said, um, he said it a few times, but he said it in the radio show too. It's like, it's not for lack of trying. Like they're, they're trying to, to be aggressive, get to the rim, drive everything that, that all these people say we don't do. It's if you watch the past couple of games, we've been doing it. Uh, I mean, Meryl Shayak is, is, like designed to get to the rim. Like that's, that's the type of player he is. I don't know why people say we don't have a player like that. Like that's who he is. Um, so it is a bit frustrating. Um, again, don't want to take away anything from Villanova, anything from the game in general. Um, I think um, I'd much rather lose a game like that um, when the officials swallow their whistle, even if it comes sort of, even if it ends up hurting us in the, in the long run, I think that's the way basketball should be. Just kind of let them play. I mean, there weren't too many egregious calls on the other end where it's like, okay, we got called for certain ticky tack fouls. I think for the most part, the officiating was all right. It's just it is frustrating. Such a close game we could have had, but, but again, I, I think it's explainable and, and more. I, I like focusing on the positives to take out of, out of yesterday's game, which there are plenty. Yeah. L- London in general guys, I think is, is clearly frustrated. Um, by some of his, you know, reactions. Um, he's he's gonna get he's gonna get a T, and it's gonna be justified. Like he's getting murdered out there. I think Tony would be okay with it. Yeah, I agree. So Charlie, I want I want to give you an opportunity to to chime in, just kind of overall. Um, you know, obviously a, a a tough loss there at the buzzer, but just w- what you took from the game, and um, you know, what do you think it means for us going forward to finish out our conference play? Um, I think, I mean, really a game like this in a time when you don't usually play it is beneficial because it, it throws something at you, like in a way, almost like you get in March, it throws a game at you that you're not like conference play, you know, everybody, you're in a rhythm, you see some of them twice. And then suddenly, like on a Sunday, on a day, we don't usually have games, you've got Villanova. So, I mean, between that and playing it in an NBA arena, it was a taste of the March atmosphere. Um, I always have a hard time talking myself into being super positive after a game like this because my brain just locks in on all the ways that we could have won. Like I'm, I'm stuck on London picking up that third foul and going to the bench. And then we got a little loose with the ball. Villanova got a couple of threes out of transition and it just seemed like they just got right back in there with us. But it didn't feel like our guys tightened up. And I mean, it felt good to be within two good looks at threes in the last couple of minutes away from putting this game away. Um, And it felt, it was a nice jolt of confidence to be right there with the defending national champs and a team. A lot of people think is the best in the country. Yeah. Two, uh, two back-to-back turnovers there. The last being by Wilkins who kind of tried to force a big to big pass coming out of a timeout. Um, after they had just hit a transition three and they basically got another one that, that was this, the, the, the dagger to me and, and kind of, uh, you know, just a, a play that it's going to happen in the, in the flow of a game. But at that moment, it was the worst possible thing that could happen. Uh, but I'll tell you the, those last couple threes that we took, uh, were halfway down. London's was halfway down. Ty's last one was halfway down. 
I was sure London's. I was sure London's was going in. Like, it's yeah. the one he he always makes that shot. That's it's, Wide, yeah. we've seen it a million times. Wide open corner look. I was like ready to smell my own fingers after it left his hands. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was you know I, I think uh, the, the rest of the country the, the the you know people took notice of the week that we had in general. Um, anybody you know I if you follow me on Twitter you know a couple weeks ago. Uh, I, you know, I don't know why I tend to be the target, but I tend to get, to get uh, a lot of uh, tweets of pretty negative in nature about the direction of this team based on the uh, the losses in the, in the uh, early in the month to Pitt and Wake. And, um, you know, if, if anybody's kind of doubting that this team has the ability to hang with anyone or still do something special, uh, if you watch this week of basketball, you know, you certainly know otherwise. Uh, and I think that, you know, this sets us up for, for a heck of a finish. It, it's a different team that I think has to win in a different way, and it's just a different personnel than I think we're used to the last three or four years. But, um, you know, boy, they're, they're, they're still fun to watch, uh, and they're really uh, – uh, they have the ability to beat anybody. Let's dive into the, the, the personnel in general and kind of the rotations and talk about, um, you know – what we're seeing from the young guys and, and maybe even just tie in what we're seeing from the veterans. And uh, let's start with what, who everybody wants to talk about. Um, and that's Ty Jerome and, and maybe even touch on Kyle guy. And let's, let's talk about those guys first and, and phony, um, you know, <laughs> what were you thinking uh, watching Ty Jerome go off in these last two games? And, you know, uh, what, what do you think it means for this team going forward? Well, well certainly, I mean, it bodes, well for the future but the Villanova game had me wondering if it if it could bode really well for the present as well because it you know and I I, I touched upon this on Twitter he the, the biggest obstacle to fans getting to know Ty Jerome and, and his game is that they've, they've got to accept that it's not he's not London Prontos and and what he brings is going to be a very different product than London I I think you're going to see a guy that uh is a lot more dynamic, uh, creates a lot more, but that also means there's going to be more frustration, more turnover um, along the way. You, know, you hope that it that it balances out, and, and that's something that I think we saw against Villanova is that he wasn't afraid of the moment, that he's got that willingness to shoot the ball. He's got a swagger that you don't necessarily notice uh, when you first put your eyes on him, and uh, I, I think it's gone beyond – you know, next year this guy is going to be so good for us. I think he's shown that he can contribute. That he's uh, um, maybe one of you guys can speak more to his defense uh, against Villanova because I probably wasn't paying a whole lot of attention to that. But he certainly wasn't a liability on defense to my eyes. And uh, what he can do offensively and, and to create for others just really makes him an asset that that we can use right now. Well, he did miss the box out on the game-winning tip-in, but you know, other than that, his defense seemed all right. Yeah, I think I mean I I rewatched that and and while I think it's like technically correct that you missed Vox out, it was more of like he came over to help on heart, and then it's, I mean you, at, at some point you have to realize like it's a human being. Pretty much anyone probably would have done the same thing. Like it was such a bang bang play. I think in our defense's mind, it sounded like uh, I heard Tony comment on as well because Tony said initially after the game he thought Ty missed Vox out, but then. Uh, at the coaches show today, he said, actually looking at it, um, probably would have expected the same thing from anybody else because I'd rather be w- more worried about Hart driving down the middle of the lane and helping on him than whoever Dante DiVincenzo or whoever 
that dude was um, on the flying in tip with basically no time left. So can't really follow him on that. I think the bigger, uh, like going into the potential defensive weaknesses, there was one uh, one of the dagger threes that Nova hit on their run. Um, they set a ball screen for Hart, and we kind of like hedged and switched it like we too with some of our guards sometimes. And um, I forget who the screen was. It might have been Jenkins. Like Hall stayed with Jenkins, but then uh, Jerome went like underneath and Hart just drained it in his, drained it three in his face. Um, and you could see, I think London and Devin were basically screaming at Ty for that. So it's the little things like that we'll have to kind of work through with uh, with guys like Ty and Kyle and, and all the, the young guys. But um, I, mean, I think the bigger thing is, I mean, just first off, touching on Ty Jerome, I, I don't think. And people that are familiar with his game, I wouldn't say we're surprised that this his performance this week happened um, in both games. But it's it is it's a little bit like whoa! I didn't realize he'd be like like I watched a replay of the game earlier, and I mean this is a true freshman coming off of two hip surgeries, who's basically our go-to guy down the stretch, and he and like he like he basically isoed. Out with 20 seconds left on the road against the number one team of the country defending national champions and knocked down, I mean, completely put DiVincenzo on skates and then knocked down a runner in the lane. <laughs> I mean, it's it's crazy. I mean, I love the swagger he has. He's so confident. Um, and, I mean, he can pack it up. And he my thing with him this year is that I think there's a lot of times that fans were kind of complaining that he were, he was playing in critical spots and everything like that. And, I think a lot of people assume, okay, we're investing in next year when London's gone. He's probably going to be our point guard. And I think that's true to some extent, but I've I've always thought like he's gonna like Tony's not Tony won't play him against West Virginia down the stretch to invest in next year. Like he's playing in those spots because he thinks he'll make a difference this this year on this team. And I think we saw more evidence of that this past week, and I'm I'm really excited to see how we use him going forward because. Um, his range is incredible. The fact that he can make those shots in the lane too, and his his handle is as good as it is. I mean, makes him incredibly difficult to defend. Like the first three hit was like basically like a thirty something footer. Like um, he's just a, a dynamic option. And he, along with Kyle, depending on matchups and everything. Um, I mean, Kyle's obviously in a little bit of a funk here, but um, there are elements that we really haven't had in a while offensively guys that can really like bring their own like actual offense and not have to work through some offensive sets or anything, but they can just pull up, create a shot for themselves, drain threes, hit a couple in a row. Um, that's why I'm really excited for what we're going to do the rest of the season. And obviously the next few years as well. I'm, ex- I'm excited to see more as they develop of Ty and Kyle together, because you can tell they've run a lot on the same units and played pickup together and are familiar with each other's games just in the way they look for and pass to each other. Because Kyle also has almost maybe an underappreciated passing eye just because everybody is focused on his own offense. And I think and those his, two, and his hair and his hair uh, and his Twitter account and all of that. But I think those two are going to offer us kind of a just a dynamic that we we haven't had on the perimeter in a while. And going back to Ty, I think one underappreciated thing with him, and maybe it's that until he started growing this scraggly facial hair he's got going, people thought he was actually 13, is that he's he is big. Like as it's going to be like it really helps him and 
probably helps it helps him get his offense to be six five and pushing two hundred pounds. Like he's a lot big. He's just like for a guy that doesn't necessarily ev- elevate a lot, it really helps him to have just a height advantage coming out of the gate on anybody he's matched up with. Combine that with his handle, and he doesn't need a, as much space as you would think to generate his own offense. All right, someone give me yeah. a, a historical comp uh, at UVA for Ty Jerome. I, I UVA is tough. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm drawing a blank on that one. Uh, so I'm asking you guys because I was like, well, he's like, yeah, and I don't. You, we haven't. Had I've always had a, like him. This isn't a UVA comparison, and I've always like for some reason the first time I saw him play, I've always gotten like a, a Darren Williams like vibe um but it's a weird comparison but like i don't know that's like his illinois days or whatever he's like a big six five point guard that can kind of has a lot of range and if 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 he catches just sleeping he'll just shoot over the top he'll use his size against a smaller guard and everything like that um that's the one that's always stuck with me but in terms of uva one i'm not really sure all right and kyle's gonna shoot himself out of this we we, you know, Charlie suggested that. I'm waiting for I'm waiting for like the redemption story where he chops off the man bun, has like this like a high and tight <laughs> like military haircut and straightens out and this drains like ten for ten threes in a row. <laughs> uh, he he by the way, he's 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 cooled off to a balmy forty six percent from three. I mean that, that clip that he was shooting at, you know, was was not gonna be sustainable, but um, you know, he it's it doesn't surprise me at all you you come in you start garnering that kind of attention you shoot that hot uh teams start defending you a little tighter uh he he forced a little bit um and and plus his minutes due to matchup and and some of his you know i want to say liabilities but you know in in some matchups it's he's he's not a, a great defensive uh you know uh matchup uh, so w- when his minutes became a little bit kind of sporadic because of that, not really because of poor play, but just because of matchups, uh, it really didn't surprise me that his 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 shooting dipped a little bit. But I expect him to come back uh, late in the season and and just hit some absolute daggers and be a a, a big force for us. Uh, I'll chime in real quick on Ty Jerome because uh, I I loved the kid coming out of high school. I watched a lot of tape on him. I knew that he had that clutch gene in him. Uh, he, he has always had it in him from uh, ninth grade to now. Um, and to see that un- unfold uh, was just something that just absolutely brought a smile to my face. And I will admit that I was one of the people that at, at certain times uh, early in the year uh, or through most of the season, I, I was more than willing to have Ty Jerome on the floor, especially in first halves or early in second halves. But there were key stretches on the road uh, in in the like, you know, from the like six to ten minute mark when when it, it seemed right when teams were were closing the gap a little bit that Ty would come in. And in my opinion, didn't really play well, um, had some costly turnovers and and. I'll admit, I was one of the folks thinking, you know, I love this kid. I think he'll be great, but I could, I could, you know, move one of the, the, you know, big wings over to play the point at this particular junction of the game uh, to be a little bit more steady. And boy, did I just eat those words with a, um, you know. His turnover was really high early in the season. I mean, he was through, I think, 10 or 12 games. He had, I think, a 30% turnover rate. I mean, it, it was... It was really bad, but he he's tightened that up a lot, which uh, has opened up a lot of things. 
I'm eating those words too, but I mean, part of it is that Ty is maybe he's a little bit healthier. Maybe he's a little bit more comfortable. He's doing something that I've kind of given Devin credit for that. He's going much more North South on the court. And in those early games, when he was in, he was doing a lot more dribbling from sideline to sideline and not challenging the defense. So, I mean, he's changed his approach a little bit. And so I give him like, I'm happier to have him on the court now than I was earlier in the season. Absolutely. I'd like to talk a little bit, um, and whoever wants to chime in here, feel feel free. The, the only other double-figure scorer, a guy that I think I, I remember in our preseason podcast, a lot of us were wondering exactly what his role would be, and, and I, I think his role has ended up being just immensely important, and that's that's Mariel Shayok, who at 10.2 is the only other guy other than London in double-figures. Uh, it has the highest overall shooting percentage from the floor uh, of the guards, which I, I think w- would surprise some people. Uh, and the fact that he is being the aggressor and finding a way to put the ball in the basket in multiple stretches of times in games when it seems like, um, you know, w- we aren't really hitting on much. Just how important has he been overall and his insertion into the starting lineup been? And D- Daniel, why don't you start with us? Yeah, so it's uh, actually a good segue because I wanted to sort of chime in as, as we're talking about the, the first years and their role in the lineup. I think obviously early on we were really sort of feeling feeling through testing out a bunch of different uh, combinations and lineups like early on uh, when Kyle got off to such a hot start. Um he only started in one game, but the call was for him to start forever uh, from fans. But um, I think, like, ultimately, I think if you could get get the coaching staff um, to be candid about everything, I think they would have told you, hey, we'd really love for one of our veterans to really step up and solidify everything. That would kind of make things easier than having to sort of be okay with, with – some of our younger guys uh, inexperience and sort of lack of knowledge, um, especially on the defensive end of the court. And I think we've definitely seen that with um, obviously when I'm sure we'll talk about Devin Hall at some extent and how terrific he's played this year, but, but Marielle has really stepped his game up um, specifically in ACC play. I've been more critical of him, um, especially this year early on. I just, would get frustrated with some of the shots he'd take his shot selection as well as his overall execution um, and might have wanted a little bit more time for a guy like uh, Kyle Guy or someone like Ty Jerome instead just giving him fresh, a fresh look. But, I mean, he's he's really shut me up. He's really become the player. I th- he's becoming the player I thought, uh, I'd say we all thought he might be. Um, and just, I mean, we've heard it a million times the past couple weeks, but he's, Tony calls him wired to score, and we definitely see that all the time. Um, he can sort of make up for any – if our offense is a little sluggish, we're not running good sets, we're not getting uh, setting good screens. Um, he sort of has figured out a good way to not really do his own thing, but he's, he's my biggest problem with him beforehand was he would kind of – play outside the offense at the wrong times. And now I think he's sort of noticing when to, when to be a bit more aggressive, when to sort of get to the rim or do a little two two dribble pull up uh, jumper. Um, it doesn't hurt that he's, he's making a lot of these shots, as you mentioned with his, his field goal percentage. But uh, I think the bigger 
the bigger thing in his development is he's he's recognizing really when to when to be aggressive versus uh, work things around within the offense itself. Charlie, why don't you talk a little bit about our guy Devin? I mean, where does where does one even begin on the progression of Devin Hall this season? He's turned into this positionless Swiss Army knife that on any given evening can guard positions one through four is an additional option as a passer and has become just more confident in his own offense. Like a couple of games ago, he caught the ball on the wing and even with a guy a couple steps away from him, just took the three and stuck it in his face, which is not something we would have seen Devin do a couple of years ago, but he's shooting 40% for the season. And that's even with a little bit of a three game slump. Um, Devin is just, I mean, as I talked about when I was talking about Ty, he's going more north and south, and particularly he's finishing, he's taking plays all the way to the front of the rim when he's looking for his own offense. And his finishing there early in the season, he was like doing something that Derrick Rose does in the NBA a lot, where he like brings the ball down and tries to avoid contact and tries to use the rim to evade defenders. And now he's just going straight to the front of the basket a lot more and he's drawing contact and his finishing has gotten better because he's lowered the degree of difficulty. And it's just nice to have a guy. It's nice to have another option on the perimeter who is both a capable ball handler looks for the basket and a second guy with London that doesn't necessarily have the tunnel vision that Mary sometimes can. Like we saw it against Villanova when he took the ball to the rim, drove the defense and made a couple of beautiful passes for Wilkins dunks. I think, I mean, with all due respect to everything London's done this season, I think he may, Devin might be, might've been our best player to this point in the season so far and perhaps our most important. Ooh, that's a, that's a bold one there. Uh, 19 of 47 from three, over 40%, 26 of 31, 84% from the line, the second leading rebounder on the team, uh, and barely trailing Isaiah Wilkins for total defensive rebounds by two on the team. It's just a, a pretty remarkable stat line uh, for Devin Hall across the board. And speaking of stat lines, somebody named for me this player who is 53 of 110 for the field, 48%. 19 of 49 from three for 39 percent uh it has 53 assists on the team which is far and away second most on the team without anybody else remotely close that's darius that is darius thompson another guy that (laughs) another guy that i i think people don't even really talk about like even like you know, my buddies or anyone getting together talking about a game or who's contributing or whatnot. Um, but Darius Thompson is doing things from, a you know, he, he's shooting the ball, obviously, drastically better than than I ever thought he would from the perimeter. Um, but he's, he's also an enigma to me, though. I, I just I, I don't know what kind of player he is. He shows these these flashes and, you know, he's got it, this athleticism. Uh, you know, sometimes he he's got this this beautiful uh, shot from deep, and I you know, and then there's games that he just disappears, and he, I just don't know what we have with him. Well, I think he's he's at least he seems much more comfortable looking to distribute than he did last year, and that's something he's at least bringing to the court every game, whether or not his shot is falling or he's getting them. Like 
that's something I kind of got on him or complained about with him a little bit last season that he's taken back to his first year when he was running the point for Tennessee a lot. Like he's done a very good job, especially once, once he's moved to the bench and he, when he comes in, he moves London to the, off the ball. He's done a great job looking for guys, finding them in the right place and kind of has helped London during this little scoring surge he's had this month. Yeah, absolutely. He's just one of those guys that it, he, it quietly, um, even though he seems to appear and disappear, uh, you know, with the blink of an eye, he quietly has a really positive impact on the game in a lot of ways that I don't think uh, a lot of fans recognize. But let's talk about the the bigs uh, a little bit because that's, you know, there's not a whole lot of them getting a, a whole lot of minutes. Uh, Isaiah's uh, trying to, you know, basically uh, him, and, him and London are um, – by far, far and away, playing more minutes than anybody on the season. Uh, but Jack Salt has started every single ball game, and it seems uh, every week he, he does something that makes you kind of wrap your head around uh, the fact that he might he might be getting a little bit, getting it a little bit, not not necessarily scoring, but doing a lot of other things. Um, and Daniel, I'll let you talk to kind of what you're seeing from a rotation standpoint from the bigs. I know you're a big Diakite fan, but let's just talk about Wilkins, Diakite, and Salt and kind of uh, what we've seen from those guys thus far. Yeah, I think uh, I think the light's really coming on for Isaiah, especially lately. I think I had very, very high expectations for him coming into the year, and, and frankly, he hadn't really lived up to them. Uh, he wasn't really bad or anything, but... Uh, I think we really wanted to see a little bit more from him. Now, granted, at the time, I was expecting he would have a little bit of help from from Nichols to kind of not be the focus of the intention down low in terms of uh, scoring in the post. But um, I think now that he's settled into his his role, um, I think the past couple of weeks we've just seen him play fantastic basketball, and uh, both in terms of actual production, in terms of scoring points, grabbing rebounds and defending, but also in terms of uh, like leadership, you can tell that he's he's definitely a leader on the court and off the court for this team. Um, I think Tony's had some really nice things to say about him lately, but I think he's really becoming a, a nice piece. Um, and without him stepping, him stepping up like he has, I think we'd be a drastically different team. Uh, I'd say something similar about Jack Saul. I mean, Look, you, you know, you pretty much know what you're going to get with with a guy like Salt, um, and that can be a compliment and sort of a limitation at the same time. Um, no one's ever going to expect him to really produce that much in terms of not just offense, but like one-on-one offense. He's not going to be a low post scorer. They just kind of throw it down to and let him make things happen. Um, but he's a smart player um, on both ends too. I think. Um, Again, this is still his. He's still a sophomore for us, so it's still early in his career, and he has a long way to develop. But um, I've seen some nice things from him, especially defensively, setting screens. I think that's something that I think a lot of fans hear that and they're like, "Okay, yeah," but like anyone can set screens. Um, it's so important in our offense. Uh, that's something that's driven us. Like really, like good coaches have figured out that if um, you're defending us and and you can somehow make us not get a body on your on the defender. Um, our offense just doesn't really work. Um, the best example of that was the Michigan State game uh, in Charlotte. 
two years ago in the NCAA tournament. Um, go back and watch the tape. That's exact. It's exactly what Izzo did. They, I don't think we set a screen that entire night. Um, they they switched everything. They anticipated screens. They did everything they could to make sure that we weren't going to physically move them. Um, we were going to have to run our offense around around them without setting screens, and it it completely devastated us offensively and we didn't weren't able to do really anything that game but um i think that's why tony values salt's minutes so much uh and, and again like it might be hard for fans to hear that because it's something that seems so basic but it's so crucial and i think the fact that we've seen him play as much speaks to how crucial it is um, but again defensively and rebounding he's he's a smart player that knows his own limitations so i i really have no problem with with him playing the minutes he's been playing and and honestly, he's had a good couple of weeks for us. Definitely played well in a tough matchup against Notre Dame. I didn't think it'd be a big game for him, but he uh, did well with his minutes there. And again, it'll with our entire front court and even back court, just matchups will dictate everything, which is a nice thing about the depth we have is to be able to sort of mold who we play in one night based on what the other team has and what's going to work for that on that particular night. I'll let you, uh, Charlie, talk a little bit about Diakite, who um you know comes in and shows flashes of just absurd otherworldly athleticism makes some big perimeter shots kind of looks like the you know one of the more impressive you know lumps of clay to mold that we've seen at Virginia in a long time um you know what do you expect his role is going to be for the remainder of his freshman season um i think as much as I'm a fan of what Mamadi can offer us, and there are times where I think he's probably should have played more than he has. He's played single digit. He played single digit minutes in four straight games before falling out of the rotation entirely against Villanova. I think he's the re- his role for the rest of the season is probably going to look. I mean, a lot like it has in this month of January. I mean, while he offers so much with his his athleticism and just his pure skill on the offensive end of the court, I think there are still just some things, some nuances of the game that he's still picking up and just some nuances of our scheme that he's not quite, he doesn't quite have down yet, that is, that's just going to keep him off the court when the stakes get high. Um, there's a lot he could offer, especially in the right matchup. Like I was thinking about this a lot before Villanova, that with Notre Dame running the four out and keeping Jenkins out on the perimeter, I was loving the thought of him switching off of Jenkins and then recovering. But I just, I'm not sure the possibility that he offers with all of that upside are worth possible lapses. Now it's like the opposite of like, we know Ty Jerome is going to bring things to the table now. I don't know that we know that entirely with Mamadi, even with what he's shown us this season. It just seems to come and go too much. Yeah, I think Mamadi still gets lost a little bit out there. Uh, you know, every now and then you, you'll see him on, on defense in particular. Like he seems to find this gap between three offensive players where he's not quite close enough to anyone to actually help out. And he, He's thinking about what he, what he needs to do, and I, I think that'll come. I mean, he's got too much raw talent to to not be an important part of of what we've got moving forward. Um, but but that role I think is going to be limited this year. He's going to be unbelievable when he starts to just 
react instead of reading. I think like that's a problem on both ends right now that sometimes like you were saying, he finds a spot on defense and just kind of lurks there. And he does that. Like he, he tends to just sit around the top of the key on offense sometimes too, instead of always looking for that next screen or looking for to establish position. Like he's, he's just a little, he's not quite locked. He's not quite locked in. And I, I think it's going to be a lot of fun once he is, but it's not quite there yet. But but I'll tell you, and, and one one guy we haven't mentioned yet, and and I'll feel bad if if we don't is Zay's performance. Um, you know, he he's been that that kind of glue guy all season. He does a little bit of everything. Doesn't really fill up the stat sheet. But the last few games, and I'd have to go back and actually check the actual stats. But I know the last few games, both his rebounding and his scoring have really been up, and especially that scoring. We need a post guy uh, that can be successful for us. And he got some real actual post touches, which may have been the first in several games against Nova and, and really took advantage of it. Um, and a lot of that's matchup, but I think, you know, with, with Tony's teams, you see good things happening uh, when we go inside out. Uh, it, we, the, those guys can really create a lot for us. And so uh, to see him, him get those touches and, and start scoring, I think that also bodes really well for us. Yeah. Wilkins is, you know, much more than a glue guy he can be a really solid offensive player and that's kind of the one thing that I'm looking for for the rest of the season is is for him to continue to be aggressive I think he's passed on some shots that he should have taken um you know I think he's got a great mid-range game I think he lost his confidence there for a little while but you just got to keep shooting it He, he can get it back um, they need to give him the ball more down on the block. I think he can do some some things down there that, you know, he's never going to be a true, like, back-to-the-basket guy, but uh, he's crafty enough to, to get to the free-throw line. Um, I thought he was asking for it a few times in that Villanova game that, that he, he wasn't rewarded. I, I think Isaiah needs to be a little bit more aggressive uh, on the offensive side of the, of the ball, and I think he's a capable offensive player. But to go back to Diakite real quick, I thought I saw one – interesting stat um when i was reviewing here before this podcast that uh it, it seems like isaiah has been been blocking a lot of shots re- recently like he's kind of come out um and and shown a whole you know a, a real ability to be a shot blocker kind of undersized inside um more so than i thought he would be and then i looked at the numbers today and uh in 538 minutes he's got 26 blocks uh, and Mom, Mamadi Diakite in 230 has 23. Uh, it's just kind of crazy to me that, um, you know, Diakite is is just that disruptive in his limited minutes. Uh, just another guy that, you know, we've talked about Jerome. We've talked about Guy. Uh, you know, we're all focused on this season. But, um, you know, guys like Jack Salt, who's still just a sophomore, um, uh, and then two redshirting guys that are on the bench. I mean, I just, you know, I, I marvel to think at the long-term prognosis of this program uh, because the the, t- the talent gap is just is just extremely deep. Uh, but let, let's talk about a little uh, about what we have coming up here. Uh, yeah, let, let me let me actually more, real quick on DK Tag is I've been I could have I could have probably had like a two-hour podcast myself on my frustrations with how we've sort of. <laughs> Uh, his playing time I, specific Dan- the past couple weeks, but Daniel, I thought you were going to record your own podcast. I almost we did a, when we were having a hard time getting together for this. <laughs> I almost did, and this would have been one of the topics. So my thought is like almost like a chicken and the egg type argument with what came first. Was it his sort of uh, 
exposed struggles, like looking a little lost, or was it the decline in minutes? My thing with a guy like him is, and that's what's been a little, if I have sort of a big critique for our coaching staff, which is always funny for me to think of because they're one of the best coaching staffs in the country. Tony could be a potential Hall of Fame coach someday. It's crazy to to really critique him. But one one thing I have been a little frustrated by is, is sort of, I've always thought Mamadi's a guy that just given his limited experience will continue to grow with the more minutes he gets. And I almost feel like if we've almost sort of, if, if he, if he really is only going to be a spot five, 10 minute top guy, um, then uh, I think maybe we could have handled the distribution minutes a little bit more. Cause I think it's probably not great for his confidence sort of being a, a rotation near starter beginning of the season, a guy that we've, hits big shots against Providence and, and on the road at Cal, the guy we need to win those games and then sort of go away from him entirely. Um, again, I'm not, I'm not in that locker room. I have no idea how he feels, how, what his confidence level is and everything, but I think it's a little unfair of him. My biggest frustration is is when he does come in and play five, ten minutes, if he does look a little lost, like the sample size is a bit smaller if he has one – one defensive lapse or anything, I think our fans kind of overreact and say like, "Oh, it's clear like he's he's not comfortable out there." Especially my my biggest frustration was when he was playing, he, when he wasn't playing in matchups that on paper seemed like he could, and and we're throwing someone like Reuter out there who was making the same exact mistakes Mamadi would on a bad day, and um, but not giving us the up the upside. So I think. Now it's very clear what we're doing matchup-wise, and I think we're more comfortable going a little smaller, and uh, we trust Jack to do certain things. So I don't really have as, as big of an issue as long as that's that's what we're doing. Again, if we, if we start throwing out a bunch of other players instead of him, um, I might be a little frustrated. But I don't know. I, I almost I think we missed a little bit of an opportunity because I'm I'm extremely high on Mamadi, much higher than I thought it'd be this season, uh, just based on what he showed early on. Um, Again, he's still going to be a great player for us. I think it's very clear. I think once once things click, it's it it could be really scary for other other teams in uh, in our league. And and who knows? I think he has a lot of pro potential. But we'll uh, we'll cross the bridge when we get to it. But again, like it's just another piece on this extremely deep young team that uh, leaves us a lot to be excited about in the future. Well, we were. I I apologize, Daniel, for not letting you. Uh have your Diakite time. That was, uh, <laughs> I was, I was going to get it either way. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was very important. Um, and, and I, I agree with, uh, uh, most everything you said there. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the schedule coming up, uh, which is still, you know, relatively brutal stretch here. Um, we get the Hoagies, uh, Wednesday night in Charlottesville, then at Syracuse, Louisville at home in Blacksburg. Duke, North Carolina, Miami, NC State. Um, is there anything that really kind of stands out? And Phony, I'll start with you. Um, what are you looking for uh, throughout the rest of the season, and what games kind of stand out to you? Wow, uh, it's it's weird because obviously the answer to this question would have been very different uh, a month ago, and. This past weekend, actually, it would have been probably different four days ago uh, because we, we saw vulnerability at, at the top of the conference. And with how Virginia has played, I feel a lot better about things moving forward. I don't think there's there's not a team in the league that's going to finish out without um, one pro- without 
I'll say two more losses uh, this season. Uh, North Carolina, certainly. I mean, if North Carolina's vulnerable at Miami, there's a lot of other games that they could potentially uh, lose, it, it, just as we are. So I'm, I'm not so worried about our schedule in comparison with everybody else's. The two North Carolina games, I, I think, are going to be the biggest because they, I really, it's looking to me like these two teams are the best equipped to be the top two in the final standings, and it could very well come down to what happens head-to-head, and I don't even know all of the different tiebreakers in, in the ACC uh, for tournament seating, but uh, th- those two games I, I think are really shaping up to be the most interesting. I like what we bring to the table in most of the other games, like especially after being through this past week. I I don't think anything should, should scare us, but um, – the, the North Carolina games, I, I really think, are going to be the most challenging. And um, it, it wouldn't surprise me to see us split those. And, and then it's going to be up to taking care of business in, in the remaining games. So, uh, but, I, but I like the position that we're in right now. Charlie, what are you hoping for? Like, what is, uh, based on this schedule and, and you know, recent history and, uh, you know, how do you assess like where do we need to be at the end of the ACC schedule to put us you know where we want to be in the NCAA tournament going forward I would say I mean where the first thing I'm concerned about is obviously securing one of the top four seeds in the ACC tournament but as far as NCAA seeding I mean I would I, I think we can we can take a couple more two maybe three Two, maybe three losses. What I want from this is to split with North Carolina and maybe lose one other. That's that's my goal for these last 10 games. But anyway, that's, that is my goal for the rest of the schedule. Um, I'm concerned with mostly with North Carolina, just the raw size and talented size they have. I don't know how that's going to play with our... With, yes, with the guys we have out there, but... Really split with North Carolina, and then I think maybe one more in there. And if we pull that off, we should be in great shape come tourney time. Daniel? I think, uh, I mean, we've talked a lot about Carolina. I think if you could, I don't know if you could draw up a worse matchup for us, especially like this year, personnel wise, uh, as you mentioned, um, just the combination of the size and rebounding they have. In the interior with the guys, I mean, Barry and Jackson, that can just kill you from deep in Kenny Williams. Um, yeah, they're scary to me. That's that's uh, almost like, <laughs> hate to tie it back to Yikite, but that's another thing. It's like, okay, well, we're probably going to need him to play some minutes against Carolina. So it's a little uncomfortable. A little, I don't know. We'll, we'll see how it goes, but it'll be weird to kind of not have him play a couple games in a row and then throw him out there. But, uh, we're going to need everybody in those games. And I really think that those games will determine who wins the ACC this year, Um, which I think in terms of goals for the rest of the season, um, I didn't really like not winning the ACC last year. So I'd like to do it to win again. I think that'd be, I think giving Carolina their one, one nice year uh, in our uh, sort of dynasty we got (laughs) going on right now was, was nice, but I think it's, it's time to, to bring the championship back to Charlottesville. Yeah, I think if we could do it three out of four years, that would be something. Well, yeah. So basically, guys, let's uh, you know, let's just kind of wrap it up. I think, and um, you know, why, why doesn't everybody just kind of give a little overall, you know, how you feel about this season to date, and kind of uh, where this team is based on your expectations 
going into the season and what's, you know, what surprised you? Um, and we'll kind of just sign off on that note. We'll kind of just hit everybody here. We'll go backwards. We'll start with you, Charlie. Uh, this team is, I mean, it's taken some twists and turns to get there, but they're really right about where I expected they would be toward the top of the ACC. The biggest surprise for me is that maybe it took London two months to realize that sometimes he needs to pull this team along, but I'm glad that he's embraced that role. And I think we're better for it, especially that he did it really before conference play started. Daniel. Yeah. I mean, I'm again, sort of, generally in about the, the spot I'd, I'd expect. Um, I think I never understood the doom and gloom people, especially when we lost a couple early on. And it's the same thing that happened last year. Like, I think at this point we, we know this, this program well enough. I think that um, this is, I mean, hopefully this is the way it's going to be going forward for as long as we have, um, you know, our, our roster looks pretty good the next few years. I mean, I would expect us to be top 15 contending for ACC championships year in, year out um, at this point. And so it's, it's like in terms of general, like that's sort of where I expect us to be. Um, again, my big thing is I think we're starting to find our identity. And, and this team is, is interesting. The fact that, yeah, we've talked about the depth, but the nice thing about the specific depth is that it's not just – we're not just throwing bodies out there. Like we've got like two kinds of depths and like, yeah, we can play 10 guys spread out minutes and we have guys that we can trust um, in terms of like a bodies and overall number. But we also have in terms of depth, a lot of different guys that we can actually trust to produce in, in key moments and big games down the stretch. Um, whereas I don't know if we really, even the past couple of years with, with our veterans and everything, I don't even know how much of that we actually had. We had sort of concentrated everything and guys like Brogdon and Gill, but um, because they were so good all American caliber players, the big knock on us then was uh, if, if they don't step up, what, who else is going to step up? Whereas this year it's like, we've had basically a different player lead us in scoring like almost every game. Um, and that's, I mean, obviously the knock this year had been like, oh, you don't have any like alpha or anything like that, which I mean, London has, has put that to rest. But I, I really like the the thought of this team having so many legitimate weapons with guys that I trust with the ball in their hands late in the clock, late in the game and in a, in a tournament game and um, a big setting. It's it's nice to, it's definitely a luxury, especially when you got guys like Ty Jerome and everyone stepping up. But um, I think that'll be really, really valuable as we really get into the meat of, of what matters and get down towards March is, is just having these options um, and guys that are, that are already showing that they're actually going to, to produce on the stretch um, makes me really excited about what this team's going to do the rest of the year. Tony. Wow. If you had told me before the season that, that halfway through ACC play, we'd be ranked in the top 10 and a half came back from first place in the conference, I, I would have been happy. If you told me that and that Austin Nichols would play one meaningless game for us, I, I would have been ecstatic. So to, to see where we are, I, I absolutely can't complain about it. I think this team has spent this season searching for its identity, and I'm, I'm not sure that it's fully arrived yet. We've seen Mario Shayok. He's really coming through. He's becoming such an offensive force. Uh, London is finally kind of taking the reins that – 
I think a lot of us felt like he was going to have to take if we were going to be successful this year. And then you're seeing these other guys develop in, in different ways. Jack Salt, a guy who a lot of people had written off as the kind of player Tony got before he got really good players. Jack Salt is becoming a force. Uh, what he did a bit against Ben Lammers, I, I think, ha- is is really going to stand up as something impressive this season. So there's... There, there's player development, you know, where, where we are. I mean, we are so spoiled as a fan base. We have four losses on the season now, and, uh, you know, folks are disappointed. Um, that's that's a wonderful place to be, and, and I suffered through a lot of years um, to, to see the team get here. So I really think, especially what we've seen these last uh, six games, uh, particularly these last two games, has shown that – this team has a whole lot of potential, and, and I, I'm not ready to, to talk about Final Fours or anything just yet, but I think the trajectory I'm really satisfied with, and, and if they continue to play at this level, it, it's going to be just an, another great season for them. So I'm, I, I, I couldn't uh, be more content with, with what's happening right now, and so happy that we're in the ACC where so many games, not just UVA games, but all these other games are just compelling uh, matches to watch uh, week after week. This is a great time to be watching the conference and, and a great time to be a Virginia fan. So I, I can't wait to see how this all plays out. Yeah, th- this team is just so different, ladies and gentlemen. I mean, that that's what it gets to me is 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 we, we, we kind of moved past an era. We graduated, you know, all kinds of guys last year, including, you know, a, a stud that is tearing up the NBA and was our first, uh, you know, ACC player of the year uh in a, in a really long time uh we have one senior this year we're ushering in a whole different crop of talent and they're winning differently i mean it, of course the, you know the defense never changes and obviously we're what this team is is built upon and what this program built upon remains the same but the personnel is drastically different they win differently they have a level of uh um you know of uh uh, camaraderie isn't the right word, but a, a, a group of guys that, that, you know, share the ball that it, you can tell that guys that are sitting on the bench and maybe not getting the min- minutes they thought um, aren't, you know, sulking or hanging their heads. Uh, we, we've turned to a, a, a new era already and we're just as good. Uh, and that to me is what is most um, enlightening about the whole thing. Um we see the future that's ahead of us, uh, but there was no rebuilding. There was no um, drastic change. Uh, essentially, a, a different group came in. They have to play a little bit different ball game, but we're still damn good. And and to me, it's just an amazing testament to uh, Tony Bennett and his program. And it's just a, it's a joy to be a fan. So hopefully, we uh, close the year strong. And with that being said, guys. I'll let everybody kind of run around and make sure, uh, tell everybody where they can find you, and uh, we'll go ahead and get this thing up, Boney. Yeah, you can find me at if Tony tweeted on Twitter, and uh, I'm also on Facebook. Uh, you can search Phony Bennett. I guess I don't know how to find me on Facebook, but but somehow people manage. Daniel. Yeah, uh, embrace base CVA on Twitter. Um, yeah, just follow me there. Little post game, little. In between games, any thoughts there? Some funny jokes occasionally. Maybe maybe not always, but I'll try. <laughs> Charlie? 
I am the real University Ball for whatever that's worth. Um, you can find me on Twitter and Medium at University Ball. I write before and after every game and pop onto Twitter probably less than I should, but I'm definitely around during games. Yep, uh, and I'm at Wahoo Basketball. And uh, you guys, if you don't read Charlie's uh, uh, previews and, and post game stuff, it's uh, it's great stuff. You got to check it out. Uh, so for the rest of the panel, we thank you very much for joining us. We we apologize. Uh, we've had many requests and private messages and tweets on on when we were going to make this happen. And um, you know we'll keep working to get everybody together and and keep producing these for you. Um, so thanks a lot for joining us. And as always, uh, wahoo wah.